You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. My name's Austin Anderson. I'm in, I've been going to Free City for six years, and I'm in the Davis Miller City Group. And I serve uh, in Kids Church and on the setup team. Uh, today's scripture is Matthew 6, 19 through 34, and you can find that on page 761 in the Bibles that are under the seats. Uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, uh, we praise your name, your glorious name. Uh, we're so grateful for the lives you've given us. Um, I pray, God, that uh, we would magnify your name and glorify you with our lives. Uh, I thank you for this church and that we're able to be here today and for the breath in our lungs that we're able to sing to you with, God. I pray for uh, the preaching today, God, that, uh, that your spirit would uh, be present in this, in this room and that we would uh, uh, learn to trust you, God, and not be anxious but that we would put our faith and trust in, in what you've done for us and in the good news of the gospel. I pray for this school, God, uh, and I pray that, that you would bless this school um, as much as it's blessed us to be able to be here, God, 
you'd be with the teachers and the faculty and the custodial staff and all the, the many people that make up this school, God, that you would give them peace uh, and freedom from anxiety and that they would learn to, to trust and to have faith as well and that we would, um, that the good news of the gospel would free us from all anxiety. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Casey, and uh, man, I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, and so I want to draw attention to two things. First, if you have a watch, I want you to look at it. And uh, so when we run late, you know it's not entirely my fault, only partially. Uh, second, if you receive one of these, uh, I want to draw your attention to it just for a second. And then I want to ask that you slip this into your Bible um, and uh, not, not look at it again, but bring it back uh, each week uh, because we're going to talk about different aspects of it. But um, we, uh, we're in a year-end campaign, uh, which just at the end of the year, man, we uh, have uh, some goals that we want to make uh, that make ministry possible, make ministry happen. And that's also in conjunction with what we talked about last week, church planting uh, in Topeka. Um, and so that's a part of it also. But when you look at this, you're going to see that we have a front and a back, and we have two goals. And so the first goal is, man, we want to raise $100,000, uh, and that is designated three different places, and so $50,000 to set aside uh, that uh, if God ever opens the door uh, for something else uh, as far as a building, if by his grace he opens that, that we would start saving money to be prepared to walk into that door. Um, now, we, uh, we did not come... Uh, with aspirations of, man, we've got to build a building. Like, life doesn't exist until we have a building. Uh, we didn't come with those aspirations. We also didn't come with the aspirations of, man, buildings are evil and we hate them. Uh, man, when we got into Central, uh, man, we just, we felt like we were dating. We're like, man, we just want them to like us a lot. And, uh, and man, God has been so good to us uh, with Central. I mean, just the friendships that he's given and opportunities that we've had. Matter of fact, uh, one of uh, our friends just told my wife, hey, congratulations on your pastor winning that award. And we were like, what are you talking about? Um, and uh, Ethan won like the best friend of Central award or something like that. Um, <laughs> Which, yeah, I, I don't think that comes with any cash value. Um, but uh, we didn't even know. I mean, he didn't even know. I told him this morning. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, man, you got a BFF, man. Um, but, man, we just, man, we felt like by God's grace we followed and we're here. And, man, we want to follow God's grace wherever he takes us. But we do feel like this is a step of just maturing and growing, that we would be ready. Um, if God opens the door to something else, that we'd start to be ready for that. And if we get down the road and, man, we just feel like the Lord tell us that's not for us, we'll come back to the church and be like, hey, we got this money. Let's do something with it. Uh, and uh, we'll see how God leads us. Uh, so $50,000 toward a building if God ever opens that door for us. Um, 30000 towards just future staffing. Uh, man, we, uh, we're, we're at the drawing board thinking through discipleship things. Uh, how can we better equip and make disciples? Thinking through worship. Um, that we see it as a very formative, important thing, the liturgy of worship. Um, if you haven't noticed, there's a very consistent pattern. If you're in the Bible reading plan, you notice that things from the Bible reading plan always find their way into the liturgy. I mean, you're like, I didn't expect something from Ezekiel. Well, you haven't been reading Ezekiel then. 
but like it's important. Like we're trying to layer into lives. Um, like that's the process of making disciples. And man, one of our goals in, in preaching and liturgy is that the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, uh, would change your heart in a moment. That doesn't mean it's like done and there's no work to be done. It means that if God doesn't initiate something in your soul, it doesn't happen. And so, man, we're praying for moments when you're singing and you think, man, I want that to be true. We're praying for moments when we're preaching that you're like, man, I want that to be true. And we think there's actually power in looking at God and saying, man, I want that to be true. And so, like, it's important. And so we're thinking through, so some of that's going there. And then 20000 uh, just right up front, a, a gift toward uh, Topeka Church Plant, which I, I, need, I need you guys to know. Like, man, when we, I can pull out the prospectus of when we came here, it takes a lot more money than that. Um, and so we're going to have to get in deeper than that. But this is a first step. Um, and so that's one-time gifts. If you flip over, we're also just trying to look ahead and say, man, uh, we need uh, more finances uh, just for monthly and ongoing. And so we're trying to raise or get in front of you guys $120,000 over the next year in addition to giving. And this has really three invitations. All the way across, we have three invitations. Uh, the first invitation is, man, if you're a new giver, like you haven't given, or you're like, man, I don't have much. Uh, man, we're just encouraging you, man, get before the Lord and just trust him and say, man, God, is this something you want me to give to? Like giving is a discipline. It's a spiritual gift, but it's a discipline. Some people have the gift and man, they just have faith and they just like to give and they just trust God more easily. Uh, but there's all kinds of dis spiritual gifts that have to become disciplines. And so, man, we talked two weeks ago about the pull of money. This is a part of that. And so new time givers. Also current givers, like we're just asking you before the Lord, um, if you're married, uh, that you guys like, man, just like write down a number and go with the highest number. You know, each of you write down a number, uh, just go with the bigger one. Uh, but we're, we're asking that you just get before the Lord and say, hey, is this, is this, is this representative of, of faith, that I, I trust in God more than everything else? Um, and then the third invitation, uh, and this is kind of for our students, um, if you, um, and we're gonna talk about this every week, if your parents are shocked that you're a part of a church, like they, they almost don't wanna talk about it because like, man, if we say it, they'll stop. Um, man, and it would bless them in a sense of like, not like, oh, another church just wanting my money. Um, if it's gonna do that to them, maybe don't do it. Um, but man, if, it would, if they are excited that you are in any type of discipleship while you're in school, man, consider handing this to them and be like, man, it might be an opportunity for you to give to it. Um, like the benefits that reap it from other people's work, it might be an opportunity that you're part of that. Now, if when we're talking about this, like you're like, man, I feel this thing in my chest. It feels like anxiety. Don't worry. We're about to talk about anxiety, um, which let's get there. Let me pray for us and we'll hop in. Um, oh, Lord. Lord, I pray that uh, as we look, like we would just be honest. Lord, we would look at what you say about worry and anxiety and trust and Lord, we would take you at your word. 
Lord, we would, uh, like, for a moment, we would take the scriptures, what they're saying right here, as of supreme authority over all other things by which all other truths are organized, and we would see those truths in other things, and we would have more hope, but it would start by the Spirit of God in the scriptures. Lord, that there would be a piece of it that we would see is at the base a theological thing by which we were formed to be in the presence of God with real power, like you told us to subdue the world, like you told us to be your viceroy here, like real responsibility, but always under the perfect love and gifts and authority of God. Lord, I pray that you would change us. Lord, I pray that we would offer you our lust for control, for a trusting gaze at your kingdom, and you would give a peace that goes beyond understanding and things would be open-handed. Relationships, circumstances, dreams, and outcomes would be open-handed because they pale in comparison to the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that the truths that we celebrate as we come into Christmas of the prophecies of God, Lord Jesus, by your stripes we would be healed. Lord, that the nails that held your hands to the cross were bound so that we could have freedom, unimaginable. And Lord, in a very real way, just as the Israelites, they didn't experience the freedom of God until they crossed over the Red Sea and then even then they wrestled with the former slavery that they were in. We would see that process crossing over from death and life makes us fully free, never to be condemned by you again, fully sons and daughters with all the rights of a son and daughter and yet we still struggle with a pull into slavery. And so the Apostle Paul writes, do not offer your parts to sin but offer them to righteousness, offer them to Jesus. Lord, we ask for help in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the end of Matthew 6 is about what you trust and about what you treasure. And so for whatever you treasure, we're, we're warned that our hearts will follow and our hearts will want to reside in that. And that is what we'll end up trusting. And the question about what we trust is, is it trustworthy? And so we, we have these two things because what we trust might prove to be deceitful. So Jesus doesn't say, like when he talks about treasure and then he talks about anxiety and trust, he doesn't say, man, just stop being greedy, you ingrates. He doesn't come like that. He says, man, consider, look around, look at the things that you run after, look at the hold that it might have on your life. He asks you to make an argument and to stand against it, to actually be reasonable, and so he doesn't come with accusations about your greed. He comes with considerations about who he is. He also doesn't come with accusations about your anxiousness. And we're going to look at that this week right now. He doesn't come and say, man, you guys are a bunch of whiners, always crying about what hurts and you don't feel safe. He doesn't do that. He labels that we are an anxious mess. And then he says, but consider me. Look around and consider more deeply. He says, make a soul-changing argument that will transform your anxiety into trust. And so like, what we see here is he comes and he wants us to focus on two things. Like what we treasure 
Uh, and that's this week, or that was last week, verses 19 through 24. And this week, what we trust. And so just a little bit of a recap, like what we treasure, he just warned us. He didn't say the things that we treasure are evil. He just said, you need to know what they actually are. And so he said things like, they don't last. The satisfaction that they bring, it doesn't last. The electric feel that you get when you touch your new phone for the first time, like it's going to wear off. Like, like all of the significance or status that you, you, know, you fake a text just so you, people can see you pull it out. Like, oh, I mean, it's not really there. Like that significance and status doesn't hold up. It builds something in our soul, but at its base, it eventually crumbles. Or maybe the security that money and possessions promise. He says it doesn't hold. Hence, we get here, starting in verse 25, where he says, it doesn't hold, doesn't make you safe, it doesn't build you up, and that's why you're anxious. And so verse 25, if you look at it, it starts with therefore. And so he's drawing a very real connection between the things that we trust in and the anxiety that we have. And so theological humor, you have to know why the therefore is therefore. And so we are connecting to the past, but I want to take this anxiety piece and what Jesus talks about worry. Maybe it's just a little bit more broader, cat, broader, broader, broader category that we could apply it in a lot of areas because we are an anxious, anxious people. And so first, we looked at this and we were warned about what we treasure and it talked about it doesn't last. And then it, it talked about the dangerous pull that money and possessions have on our soul that it enslaves and it blinds us. And so he warns us in verse 24, look at verse 24. He warns us, hey, be careful. You can't serve two masters and you may not even know that you have a different master until those things that seem parallel make a cross and you can only hang on to one. And then we get words like this. He says, you will be lovingly devoted. You see those words. You'll love one and be devoted to one. But anytime it is threatened, you'll respond. And you see these words. And I'm changing them, but despising hate. You'll love one and be devoted to it and you despise and hate the other. And he says, you can't serve two masters. And he says, he said, do you understand what rivals your heart and your affections for God? And so we get these warnings. And then this week, Jesus wants to talk to us about trust. And in trust, like, we're going to get to the end, and he's going to say, listen, build trust by knowing that God sees you, that he cares for you, and he will gladly give to you because he's a good father. But this comes with warnings also, like, refusing to exercise trust results in surrendering to the gripping power of worry and anxiety. And it's going to go on to say the only way to fight anxiety is with Trust. And so the question is going to be, will you surrender to anxiety where you must or will you practice trust? If you choose to give yourself to trust, you must lay down control. And so I have two main points. First, we're just going to describe anxiety. What is it? And you're going to be like, hey, man, it needs no description. I know what it feels like. And then we're going to talk about how to defeat it. And the solution given over and over is trust, trust, trust. And so first question, what is anxiety? And so I uh, 
worked on a definition, but anxiety is a feeling of fear, dread, and uncertainty. But at its base, anxiety is a desire for control. Now, even asking the question, like, what is being worried feel like, or what is anxiety? Like, some of you guys are like, that's a crazy question. We all know what it feels like. We all know what it is. We're gripped by it. Like some of you are saying like, oh, I'll tell you what it's like. It's that shaky little feeling inside of your soul, in your inner being that's sometimes seen in an eye twitch. It's possible that could be too much caffeine, but sometimes it comes out. It's an unsettledness that you feel. It's racing, swirling thoughts that won't relent and let you sleep. Anxiety races on and at times you beg for the escape of sleep. Or it's being paralyzed to move forward in life because inside you are not paralyzed at all. You are moving to and fro at a rate that it's hard to describe. Jumping to conclusions of what could happen or will happen and trying to figure out how to keep them from happening, but they're not even here yet. It's a racing, swirling activity inside of your soul. Or it persists in stomach aches and headaches and muscle aches. Um, and it's you wondering, is diarrhea actually normal? I mean, it doesn't seem to want to go away. Sir and Kirk Kierkegaard, he wrote this, the concept of dread, and, uh, or the concept of anxiety. He described it this way. So he uses anxiety to say, dread to say anxiety. He says, dread or anxiety is a desire for which one dreads, a sympathetic opposition Dread is an alien power which lays hold of an individual and yet one cannot fear oneself away nor has a will to do so for one fears what one fears one desires. Dread then makes the individual impotent. You know, he goes on, it's not a very long book and it's actually the foundation for a lot of how we talk about anxiety. He goes on to describe, it's kind of like you're afraid of heights but you can't stop walking close to the edge to look over. Like you just have to know exactly what you're afraid of. But getting close to the edge by which you're drawn, you're more afraid, but you want to step away, but you just can't step away. That's why he says it's like an alien power that makes you long for the environment that which you dread. And so ultimately, anxiety is fear. Look at verse 25. In verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And so that could easily say, do not fear or be afraid of what you'll eat, drink, or wear. Like Jesus is warning us about a type of fear. And it's actually a specific type of fear, but at the very, very base, anxiety like is a fear. Like there's something I'm afraid of. And so fear is an emotional experience in the present of, that's present to alert you of danger. So on the emotional side, fear is alerting the fight or the flight or fight thing in you. And so it's telling you like a situation around you, like you either need to run or you need to fight or you need to pump fake the bully in the middle school hallway. Like you need to do something. It's alerting you to something that's going on to say there is danger here. Like if you see a polar bear in the wild, you should feel fear. Not like, man, maybe we'll share a Coke, like all the holiday commercials say. Like you should feel fear. Uh, I, this week, I, I, was, I came home and Anna was watching like an Animal Planet show 
And the Animal Planet show was people cuddling with animals you shouldn't cuddle with. Like literally, like, I mean, the, it was like they were cuddling with lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, yeah, 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 yeah. But you shouldn't cuddle with those things. And she was like, oh, I want to cuddle with a bear. And I was like, no, that is not in the saying. Like the saying is if it's brown, lay down. If it's black, fight back. If it's white, good night or just have a Coke. I mean, that's not in the saying. It is not cuddle with the bear. Like this is preparing us for, for not survival. But there was even like this, this actually, oh. I'm getting so anxious just thinking about it. Oh, they actually had a baby. Like, I kid you not. They had a baby, and there were four cobras, like, just kind of around the baby. And she was like, is that possible? I'm like, no, no. I don't know. No, this is irresponsible. Like, Jesus is coming back to crush their heads. Like, no, this is irresponsible. But, see, fear is an emotional experience to alert us of danger in the present, Anxiety is an emotional experience of future-oriented fear. Not in the present, but what will happen or could happen. And so it's preparing you to run or it's preparing you to fight. It's saying something is coming and we need to be ready for it. And so like, it's like look, at, look at verse 25 again. I want you to see the wills. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your food, or what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Anxiety is fear of future outcomes that could happen. And so sometimes, like I remember experiencing this, like you, you take a test, and then man, you are so fearful about how you did on the test, and man, you're going through like number, you know, questions. You're asking, hey, what'd you put for number four? And like they say something, you're like, did you have the same number four that I had? And then you get more scared. Like what will happen? What will happen? So you ask someone else and then you're convinced you took the wrong test and then you get your test results back and you're so relieved to find out that you failed it. Like you're so relieved. The actual experience of failing is not the same experience of fearing that you will fail it. Like you're preparing because you don't know. And what you're actually doing is you're trying to control an outcome that you can't control because it's not yours yet to control. Anxiety is the fear of what could or will happen. Or maybe you've experienced it like you, you, you got a date. I mean, good job, way to go. You got on a date. <laughs> And you go on the day and you're just so worried because you want to know, man, what are they thinking about me? Are, are they liking this? Are they faking it? Like, will they go on another date with me? Yes or no? Like, check the box. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. And then you're wondering, like, did they like that I did my hoodie sweatshirt leave behind? Like, are they like cuddling in it? Like, oh, it smells like him. I mean, are they doing that? Or like, oh my gosh, I'll leave behind. Like, you don't know what they're thinking. And then you get on social media and you're like, man, they're describing a disaster date with no name. That sounds a lot like our date. I wonder who they're talking about, you know? And like, you live in the anxiety of what you can't know what will or could happen. I'm afraid that I will not have enough or be enough. I'm afraid that I will get sick, hurt, or die. I'm afraid that if they really knew me, like if they discovered what I've done or what I'm like, then they will or might leave me. 
I'm afraid of what will or could happen. I won't have enough. I won't be enough. Or it won't be enough to fix me. Anxiety is a gripping fear about what will or could happen. And anxiety affects so much. It affects us psychologically. Look at verse 25 again. We're spending most of our time in verse 25. Look at verse 25 again. It says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And then it uses the word life again, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you put on. And it says, oh, is not life more than food? And then, and the body more than clothing. And so it, it's interesting, like it, in Greek, like there's three words that are mostly used for life and they talk about different aspects. And by associating with food and drink, like what keeps the biological part of you, like this body, what keeps it moving, like you would expect it to use the word bios. It's where we get the word biology. It means organic body life. And so in that sense, if it used biology, bios, it would be saying, hey, don't worry about having enough to sustain the cellular development of your body. Food can do that. God will give you food. But it doesn't use the word bios. It uses the word suki, which is where we get the word psychology, which describes the inner life of a person. It's seeking inner wholeness or a sense of worth. And so Jesus is saying the inner life of you, the inner life that you're trying to gain, this wholly connected inner life that is at peace and stable and feels safe cannot be established by all the food or all the drink or all the clothing in the world. And so like that, that, that base there, it certainly includes everything else. And he says the inner life that you're seeking can't be accomplished by accomplishments or wealth or what you drive or where you live. Like it won't fix that inner piece of you. And then he goes on and he says things like, is not life more? Like he, he's saying, I know you're trying to find this deeper ache of a sense of worth and meaning and stability and you're running to things to find it or to relationships to find it and you're coming up empty and yet you keep forgiving those things and the things that are, might be causing the most trouble for you are becoming the solution to fix the things that are becoming the trouble. He's warning us about this addictive nature of sin and idolatry. You keep running to it and it's not fixing but you keep going back. And you keep going back thinking, man, if I just get a little bit more. If maybe I just have more of that weekend experience or that kind of relationship. Or if my resume looks like this. Or if my bank account is more padded. Or if I can drive that kind of car or wear those kind of clothes. Maybe it'll fix something that just feels hollow on the inside of me. And the question, he says, when you seek these things to build you up. You're looking for more. He says, when you pursue these things to give you a sense of wholeness and they don't do it, you are looking for something more. You really want something more. And he says, when you pursue leads and you get that gadget or that endeavor or that relationship to pacify the inner sense of well-being that you don't have, Jesus cries out, life is more. You're seeking more than what those things or those accomplishments or those people can give. Like Jesus is giving us like the inner words of our soul. There has to be more. And he's saying, there is. 
But see, anxiety affects us psychologically. Like we're trying to fix something with outside means on the inside and Jesus is saying, it won't work. It might pacify it for a moment, but when you pacify it for a moment, the worms of distrust and disillusionment, they just dig in deeper to make you more sick and more hungry. But, but anxiety doesn't just affect us psychologically, it also affects us physiologically. Look at verse 27. In verse 27 it says, and which of you, after he says, is not life more, he says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And so it's saying not just anxiety can't extend your life, like being worried about, like, I just need more to make me safe. He's like, it, it can't add anything to you. It can't make your life longer. It can't add to it. And matter of fact, all the medical professionals are going to tell you it actually probably shortens your life. Like, do you watch commercials like they talk about a drug that's gonna help you and then they do the, the soft voice that's down here. And if you slow that down, like it makes you anxious just thinking of what could happen if you take that to fix something. Like, like there could be side effects. And so it talks about anxiety is the leading cause of body pain, headaches, fatigue. Anxiety causes increased blood pressure, shortness of breath, chest pains, cardiovascular damage. Sometimes people feel a choking sensation. I thought that was just me, but I was glad I read it. Dizziness, lightheadedness, sweaty palms, nausea, upset stomachs, diarrhea, trembling, shaking, tingling or numbness in the arms and legs, weakness, faintness, and muzzle t muscle tension. Oh. Builds anxiety. It affects us physiologically because you're an embodied soul and the things that you're seeking to fix your soul have an effect on your body. Like you can't escape your body until Jesus gives you a new one. Anxiety also affects you relationally. People and situations start to feel unsafe. You start to avoid people and places out of fear how they might make you feel. You become preoccupied with a longing to escape. You live with a persisting feeling that I need to get somewhere, anywhere but here. Which is future oriented. I might feel better if I get there. Ultimately, what this is trying to tell us, and I think what the scriptures tell us, anxiety is a longingness for control. All of this passage is looking at what we have or don't have and demanding control to have what we think we need. I must know that I, I will have enough for tomorrow. Your anxiousness is this persisting push for more control and it's rooted in the theological makeup of who we are. And so if we look back at the beginning, we were created for Eden to be in the presence of God. Like it's not new that a longing for control has caused us a lot of problems. See, when God created us, he created us to live under his reign and his presence, exercising his will with real like control and power. He said, stand here in my image and help me cultivate this world that's worked together. Name the animals, multiply, bring it under cultivation. And we held in those boundaries for like four verses. And he said, but why you have real power and real control, I want you to trust me that there's a limit to that and trust me and don't eat of this tree. And we were like, I don't know, man, it looks pretty good. 
And so rather than trust, we traded trust and worship for the eternal God and we picked up control and said, I need to see what it's like. I need to take ownership. I need to see what might or will happen because I don't know if I can trust you. When we sin at the base of who we are, we laid down trust in God and picked up self-control. And when I say, man, you need to be praying for us because as we look at, man, discipleship needs and as we look at the future of like liturgy and worship needs, like real worship, you are really worshiping when you lay down control for trust. God, whatever you seek true and right is what I'll do. And so when I can't control the circumstances or outcomes in my life, I feel anxious my soul starts crying. It's not going the way I want it to go. I want it to change. I want control. When relationships aren't going the way I want, I feel anxious. I feel subject and vulnerable to their outcomes and I want to be in control. I want a sense of safety and I think my hands are the best for it. When I can't direct my life in the way that I think best, I'm anxious because I want to decide. And the danger is, what I do in response to that feeling is either distinctly Christian or it's not. It's either self-determination or God-dependence. And so the danger, is, the danger is I can't control it, so I'll try to escape, cope, or numb it. And so then we do things like we emotionally eat or we starve ourselves. We just need to be in control of something. Or, or we cut like, I can't do anything about that pain, but I can control this pain. Or, or we run and just start over only to find a similar circumstance. We say, man, if I just get a new job or new friends or new school or, or, or a new church or a new family, then I'll be okay. You know, I mean, shopaholics shop, alcoholics drink, drug addicts dope, and Apple TV describers, they just watch. We seek to escape. We seek to numb. And just for a second, is it working? And so we look here and he said, man, let me tell you about what anxiety, what it's like. And then we look at our cultural example and we bring it in. We're like, man, this seems to be saying exactly, man, what might happen. I'm afraid of what's out there or what could happen. And I start to feel, man, if they said something like this or if the stock market does this, then you know, A happens, so B's gonna happen and C's gonna happen. All of a sudden we're destitute and we have nothing and we wasted all our lives and we start to get very, very nervous. And so what is Anxiety. It's fear and dread of what might happen as you seek to control it. How do we defeat anxiety? Trust. You know, Kinsey was doing continued education this last week on the danger of screen time and brain development. And man, I was scared I was gonna come home and like all the TVs be ripped off the wall and thrown away. We've, we've got, we all have some soap boxes and that's one of her soap boxes. Uh, watch what you eat and don't look at that screen. Not even for a second. I mean, like it's killing you. Um, and, but she said like been this really profound thing. Like she talks about development and you know, a timeline and what we see in kids and kids development and also what we see socially. And she talked about uh, your anxiety and your screen time being very closely related 
And like, she would basically say like, if you think that your anxiety is not connected to your screen time, I'm not saying solely connected, I'm not saying it's the only cause, I'm not saying if you break it for a day, you're gonna feel much better. Um, I'm, I'm saying that she was saying, all the research is showing that there is a close correlation and causation between your phone's unique ability to distract you, to keep you from doing the soul work that you need to do and the addictive effects of it, or your phone's unique ability to redirect you from the relationship work that the Bible actually requires you to do, but you just escape like real relationships for kind of some out there relationship or your phone's unique ability to build envy, not continue education words, my words, like to build envy. Like it fills your soul with FOMO. Like you're sitting there doing nothing. You're like, man, all these people are doing cool stuff. I feel terrible about my life or uncertainty about where you stand socially Man, they get more responses than me. Do I have worth and value? Or, or it makes you like the bearer of information that you can't carry because it's not yours to carry. You have no agency to deal with it, but it's crushing you nonetheless. And yet, like, you feel it. Like, I, I've talked to people, and I felt this too. Like, you kind of pick it up, and you feel this sensation, like, oh, my gosh, you know, like kind of in your chest, like it starts moving and you don't even like how it feels, but you're like, but I just gotta know what's going on. Kirken, like Kierkegaard was right. Like describing dread as I'm afraid of falling off the edge. I just don't wanna fall off the edge of that cliff. It scares me to death. But man, I just gotta see what's over the edge of that cliff. Like this alien power that's drawing us that I have to take things into my own hands. And ultimately she said this, and so this continued education, she said, the opposition or the, the opposite of anxiety is not calmness, it's trust. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. That's exactly what he says here in verse 25, where he says, is not life more? Jesus's question is also a statement that there is more to life. There is more to life than what can be found in your control. And it is found in your laying control down and trusting God. Like look in verse 26 and 28, we see these words, look in verse 26. And we see it consider in verse 28. Both look and consider are telling us to look around more deeply and make a soul changing argument. Make an argument for God's dependability and his faithfulness make a convincing argument for trust. You naturally have an argument circling in your mind for control. If I just had that or this or a little more. Or you say, man, this shouldn't be this hard. Or you say, I'm not safe. And Jesus says, look and consider. Give effort to a soul galvanizing argument for God's good faithfulness. And so three things that he says look to. Number one, he says look and consider. Trust that God cares. Trust his good fatherly care for you. Look at verse 26, it says, look at the birds of the air. He says, look at them, consider them. Think about their relationship in this world and what they do. Think about how God views them because he created them. And he says in verse 26, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Like the point is not for us not to work. Birds seem very, very busy to me. You know, Liv has a bird feeder that when we can keep it away from the squirrel um, that she feeds up. Man, the birds are really, really busy. 
Like they are getting food all the time. They're working, but they're not worrying. And he says, consider them. Consider that in Genesis 1, that when God made the birds and he gave them the ability to flight and he covered them with beautiful colors and the ability to sing and he did all these things that he looked at them and he said, man, that's good. But consider that when he made you and he bore you in his image and he put creativity and future thought in you and he put desires that can only be fulfilled in service to him as you walk with him and he gave all of these attributes into you that he said, man, that is really good. Or, or consider like a Proverbs 8 and verse 31 where it talks about the creation of the world and it says that as the creation was happening that the Trinity presence of God was rejoicing and delighting in the children of men. He says, consider how much more he loves you. He cares for you. And then verse 28 through 30, it's just a, a different, the same argument a different way. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He says, look and consider. God ordains the fields with beauty and they don't last but a brief season. He's saying, if you didn't get the, the, the Kansas uh, sunflower picture, it's too late. It was here for like a week and it is gone. He says, it's here and it's full of beauty for a moment and then it's gone. We use it to cook our food. He says, look and consider, make an argument to trust God. God made you to last forever. And if he provides for birds and fields, what about you? You're naturally making an argument for your scarcity that demands your unrelenting desire for control and it's killing you. Make an argument for trust. God cares. Number two, look and consider. Trust that God sees. Look at verse 31. It says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For God, for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Like when it says your heavenly father knows, it means he sees, like he is aware. You have not escaped his gaze. Like he sees you. He has special attention for you. You're not, un, he's not unaware of what you need. But it doesn't just say God sees. It says your heavenly father sees. God knows with fatherly care. Perfect, heavenly, fatherly care. Your heavenly father knows. But, 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 but I've been hurt. And others don't see it. God sees it. But you don't know what I need. I, I, I'm in need and, and others don't see it. But, but, but God sees it. God sees it and he responds like a perfect providing heavenly father would. You know, it, it starts with food and drink and clothes at the, you know, the bottom of Maslow's uh, little pyramid thing. And it certainly means everything that's built on top of it. God knows what you need. He sees what you need. He cares 
about what you need. But sometimes the things that you think you need aren't what you need. Sometimes the things that you think you need will destroy you. It was a while ago, but I was with Cruz and we were getting ready for bed. And he goes, Dad, what's more powerful, a missile launcher or a bazooka? And I was like, I don't know. I bet Google knows. And so Googled it up. I was like, Google says a bazooka is more powerful. And he's like, can I have one? (laughs) And I was like, man, some would interpret the Second Amendment to say yes, but your father's saying no. (laughs) Why? Because you'll kill yourself. You... No, you will kill yourself with a bazooka. I have like 30 years on him, 30 years of life that I'm like, no, you running around the house with your sisters. It's just a moment till we're all up in flames. Nothing is left. I have more experience, more foresight. And there's a lot of things that I'm not sure of. But one thing I am sure of, Cruz, you should not have a bazooka. 30 years. How much more of God? We ask for things and he's like, man, if I gave you that relationship right now, it would destroy you. Or man, if I gave you that kind of influence and power, it would destroy you and others. And so sometimes he's holding things back and he's saying, not right now, maybe not never. Trust me as a heavenly father, I see more. God sees. And then finally, look and consider, trust that God gives. In verse 26, it says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Feeds them means he sees the need, he cares about the need, and he gives to the need. Or in verse 27 through 30, it talks about being anxious. You can't add anything to your life. And then it talks about the field. And it says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is a, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will Will he not much more clothe you? Little faith. He says, will he not much more clothe you? And when it says clothe you, will he not much more give to you? He says, consider the field and make a trust building argument. God sees them and like a caring father, he gives what they need. He also gives them beauty. Verse 31 through 34 Jesus is gonna be honest about two things. He's gonna be honest about what this world is like and he's gonna be honest about what salvation is like and where it's found. And and so look at that, it says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for you is the day of its troubles. And so Jesus is honest about this world, and he's honest about salvation. First, Jesus is honest about this world. The world is broken, and it will hurt us. Verse 34 says, you know, don't be anxious about tomorrow. You can't do anything about it. It'll have trouble on its own. Like there will be trouble tomorrow. Like he's not saying, man, trust me and nothing, you know, nothing's ever gonna hurt you. It's gonna be great. He's not saying that. He's not saying like, trust me and you'll have all, all your wildest dreams will come true. We just watched Napoleon Dynamite. And he's not saying that. He's saying there will be trouble tomorrow. 
He's saying this world is broken. Things don't work like they're supposed to. There will be hurt and there will be suffering. But your anxiety that imagines what might happen tomorrow will always be absent of one very important thing. The grace that will be yours in the moment you need it. See, when we get worked up about what might happen or could happen, God never enters in and says, let me show you the grace that would be yours because God only works in reality. He doesn't work in your made up reality. And so he's saying you have to practice trust. Whatever it is, whatever tomorrow's like, man, I know God's gonna show up because he shows up for birds and he shows up for fields and he shows up for me that he says is worth the price of his son. In a... In The Hiding Place, uh, Corey Timboon, she's talking about an experience she had with a, as a little girl when she encountered death. And she starts there because obviously if you know The Hiding Place, it talks about um, hiding Jews uh, from extermination by the Nazis and then eventually getting put in a concentration camp and she experienced death all around her. But she had this experience where a baby friend of the family, a baby unsuspectedly died very suddenly. And man, it just crippled her. And she was trying to talk to her dad, Casper, which we should all try to be like Casper Tim Boone. You just need to read it. He's just, he's incredible. Um, and she basically is saying, how can anyone live if that kind of future could even possibly be out there? And her father said this, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? I sniffled a few times and consider this. Why, just before we get on the train. Exactly. And our wise father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and you will find the strength you need just in time. Anxiety is fear about what will happen or could happen in the future, and there will be trouble. Jesus is very honest about this world. And if you haven't read, man, you need to read it. Man, when, it, when they get in the concentration camp, and man, when they're celebrating and worshiping Jesus because they have fleas, because it keeps the guards out there so they can worship Jesus, it makes me think about all our problems Makes me pretty sad. Uh, and then when she discovers her sister and her death, there is this precious miracle from God that he gives to her where he just has this sense of, man, it's all right. God, you've seen it. You care and you will give. But all this, Jesus is honest about this world. Jesus is honest about salvation. You must seek him as king to have his peace. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has a king and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The coming kingdom of God is an otherworldly peace that we want. Isaiah 11, six and nine, it says that there is a peace. And he starts to describe it like this, a lot like the show Anna was watching where a wolf and the lamb lie down together, where lions and calves graze together, where children and cobras can play together. And then it says this, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Hurt will stop. War will end. Death will be no more. How does this come about? Where do we get this otherworldly peace? And it says, end of verse nine, for the earth 
shall be full of the knowledge of God as the water covers the seas. See, the knowledge of God is found in the name of Jesus. Taking the truth of Jesus deep into your soul brings peace. You can have freedom from anxiety as you trade control for trust just more deeply, moment by moment. When you practice the truths of the scriptures, the opposite of anxiety is not calmness. It's trust. Seek Jesus first. That world can only come to pass with the inauguration of King Jesus. That world will only abide in your soul as you give a little bit more each day that he asks for and you say, today you're on the throne, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, I'm, I'm not foolish to think um, that as we talk about this theologically, there's a lot of parts of us in the room that says, yeah, but what about? Yeah, but what about? And Lord, like your truth is not more narrow in the sense uh, that there's things outside of it. It is more broad in the sense that it encompasses all things. And Lord, if, if the Bible is true and this started with a theological um, problem, then there's also a theological solution as we hand over and we trust. And so like just right now, heads down, eyes closed, there's just a question that we need to ask. Is there something that you're trying to control that's giving you a great amount of anxiety? If God is pressing on that, would you open your hand and say, I'll trust you. And the open hand and walking ahead as a believer, you know, we don't come to communion as victorious, like we nailed the week so we deserve it. We come to communion every week as a mean of dependence, just like I need food and I need drink. More so than that, I need the peace of God that can only come by salvation through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so everything in communion points to that truth. It points to the broken body of Jesus and it points to the blood spilled of Jesus. And so we come as a needy people saying, I need more trust. And so one movement, if you're a believer, is that you come forward and take communion. The other movement might be that you just get prayer. And if there's something significant or specific that you're like, man, I just need someone to pray for me, man, we just ask you to meet someone on the prayer team behind the black sheets and tell them as much or as little as you think you need to and just let them pray. But they're gonna pray that you lay down control and that you pick up trust. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready.